CEO is love and Puss in Boots is spending his last wish knocking down the cabin. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. So, welcome back to the show then, and we are starting with some brand new movies out this week, of course. So, we're going to start with Knock at the Cabin. So, um, this certainly sounds like a horror movie to me. Well, I mean, and then some. I mean, are, are you, are, I take it you're not aware of Knock at the Cabin from like the pre-release marketing or anything, Mr. Ball? No, I've not really seen much about it at all, if I'm honest. No, fair enough. Okay, so this is the latest movie to be written for the screen and directed by none other than M. Night Shyamalan. If you know anything about me, I'm an M. Night Shyamalan fan. I'm not ashamed to say. So uh, this stars Dave Bautista, Jonathan Groff, Ben Aldridge, uh, Nikki Amukabird, and Rupert Grint, of all people. Oh. I want to I say that again. Rupert Grint is in an M. Night Shyamalan movie. This is not a drill, people. This is really happening. Okay, so basic premises, because this is based on a novel, which I have actually read and had somehow forgotten about. Let me just find the, it's Paul Tremblay's novel, novel, The Cabin at the End of the World. That's exactly the title was throwing me. So Paul Tremblay's The Cabin at the End of the World, adapted for the screen. I think, um, if memory serves, Shyamalan had sort of gotten the rights to this and started adapting it before it was actually published. So in the sort of pre-release stage. The premise here is you've got, you know, a, a, a classy urbanite gay couple and their, their young adopted daughter. They're, they're, you know, having some time away, family vacation, cabin in the middle of nowhere. And of course. Uh, one, yeah, one day, a man, I'm not going to say just Dave Batista. Okay, because if I say a man, you just can imagine someone who looks normal. Okay, Dave Batista. Okay, Dave bloody Batista walks up to this little girl in the middle of the woods who's playing on her own and says, hi, um, me and my friends uh, are going to knock at the door and it's really important you let us in. We've got some important stuff to do, like the most important job in the world. And they freak her out. So she runs inside and tells her dads, there's some scary people that are going to knock at the door. And then soon enough, they do. And they have some very specific demands. i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm not going to tell you what those demands are. I'm going to let the clip do it for me, because I don't think I could possibly do it better than Dave Batista. We're not here to hurt you, but you have to stay here in the cabin with us. Families throughout history have been chosen to make this decision. Your family must choose to willingly sacrifice one of the three of you to prevent the apocalypse. We're not sacrificing anyone. For every no you give us, hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. Close your eyes. Will you make a choice? Whoa! I mean, that sounds awesome. It's got the, it's got a touch of saw to it. I'd say it's kind of like that. I mean, it, first of all, I thought this was great. I mean, I, I, I really, I really love this. I and I did read the book. I, I, I will say, I have read the book, so I can tell you. There is there, this almost works like the opposite of the mist. Now the ending of the book plays a lot like the cinematic ending of the mist, in that the the ending of the film adaptation of the mist is a real downbeat ending, whereas the one in the book is just a little bit more pleasant. You've got the exact opposite here, where the ending of the book is just one of the most horrific things, and the ending of the film is a little bit more pleasant. So just spoiler alert for another one. 
Um, this is great. I thought this is absolutely brilliant. Dave Batista, you would not immediately look at and think, this is a guy who can absolutely be the antagonist of an M. Night Shyamalan movie. And yet, this is Batista. And I think I did read somewhere that he was cast for this based on his appearance in Blade Runner 2049. And that is actually very, very good casting when, when, because this kind of plays along those lines. This is that soulful, very dour, apocalyptic kind of Batista performance. This is not his action movie or even action comedy persona. This is his down and dirty, dour performance. Great cast, sharp writing. Um, Shyamalan has always, to be honest, Shyamalan's always known how to frame a film, how to stage a film. It's never been a thing that he's particularly lacked. If Shyamalan's ever fallen short in any of his movies, I mean, and I am including The Happening in this when I say this, anyone who knows the Shyamalan, the Shyamaverse, as it were, kind of yeah. knows where Shyamalan has gone wrong in recent years. Shyamalan's faults, when they have reared their heads, have always been on the page rather than anywhere else. And to be fair, this is adapted material. So, you know, he's kind of got a leg up there. This is not exactly his story to balls up. It works quite well. Um, his particular cadence and style work very well with the material. The cast in there, particularly Jonathan Groff, I will say, because I think Jonathan Groff kind of plays a bit against type here. Jonathan Groff is, I think he's ex-Glee, if memory serves. I think he's the, the, the guy, kid from the rival school in the first season of Glee, if uh, memory serves. yeah. He's also the the love interest character in the Frozen movies. Uh, you know the, the the one who not not Elsa's boy, but Anna's Anna's partner in the in the Frozen movies. I want to say not Sven. You know, I'm I'm confusing my my Frozen characters and my nephew. Let it Amber go. Character. Let it go. Yeah, I'll let it go. I'll let it go. You know, whatever <laughs> snow does in summer, but. <laughs> <laughs> But I think he plays against type quite well because this works by basically taking an actor who most recently was seen playing two type as the unlikable persona of, you know, rebooted Agent Smith in the Matrix reboot call. And here becoming something quite investable, uh, investable and using that smugness to quite interesting effect. Uh, Nikki Amuka Bird, though, I think is my MVP here. And she is one of those actresses, especially if you've seen uh, Avenue 5, in the last couple of years with the, the Armando Iannucci sort of spin on Red Dwarf with Hugh Laurie and Josh Gad, incidentally another Frozen alum. Um, you're yeah. used to seeing her, I think, playing that sort of cringe co uh, comedy type. And here it's more of a tragedy drama element and the performance is terrific. However, one that really shocked me, Rupert Grint. Didn't, it's, it's, it's a short but very impactful performance. The story for this, like I say, you can just as easily read the book. We were embargoed on this, and I was kind of mystified by that, because I think I literally signed the embargo while saying, you realize some of us have read the book, right? You could literally hop on Wikipedia anytime. Like, most of us have phones. We could, we could like, why are you embargoing this? It's only because the third act has basically changed a bit. But I will say, it works tremendously well. And as you'll, you'll hear from the trailer, it builds suspense very well. And it's like, oh, if every no you give us, hundreds of thousands of people people will die. That yeah. is played in both iterations of this story to quite harrowing and tremendously impactful effect. I don't think it's Shyamalan's best movie because you'll never get past you know the, the original three, the first three Shyamalan movies, you know, Sixth Sense, Unbreakable Signs. Those are always, I think, going to be the high watermark of M. Night. But post those, 
I think this is pretty darn hard to beat. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think this works. I don't think it will particularly let anyone down. I think if you are a fan of The Mist, certainly go and check this out because there is a, there's a certain commonality between the two. Obviously, there is no actual mist. This seems to take place in summer, you know, so no actual mist. But it is a, quite a contained and insular film that is, is about human horror, human-driven interpersonal terror. And in the hands of Shyamalan, and particularly Batista, Nicky Mookabird, and Jonathan Groff, I think that, that, that goes down gangbusters. I think this is an absolute crack. It's out in cinemas from today. Knock at the cabin. Um, it is a 15, so it's, you know, it is one for the adults, and it is for a reason. Like I say, it is quite chilling. It is quite disturbing. If they had gone with some of the stuff that is in the book for the third act, believe me, this might have been rated higher. But I think what is there worked very, very well. I mean, I'm sold just from the trailer that you uh, that you played at the start. And, and I don't know if you caught this, but Shyamalan was actually on, I think it was either Jonathan Ross or one of the other chat shows recently, um, talking about all of his movies. And actually, it, it was quite fascinating to hear him talk. I mean, I don't know if you've seen one of those kind of interviews with him or not. I watched James King's... Obviously, James is a friend. I watched his, I think it was uh, Radio 2 interview uh, this week with him. And, uh, I mean, first of all, I always find uh, M. Night Shyamalan a fascinating guy anyway. But what's really intrigued me in the last few years uh, with, uh, with Shyamalan has been that he's been doing all this stuff independently. Like, the guy literally yeah. mortgaged his house to, has been mortgaging his house to fund these movies. And his work with, like, Blumhouse and the creative control he's getting as a result of that absolutely tremendous like i think we are entering like any any day any time now we are going to get the Shyamalan movie that will be the best one of his career like i do believe we have not seen the best that he will crank out yet he's not hitchcock but i think as far as modern equivalents go he's definitely one of the better ones and i think any day now he is going to turn out what will eventually land as his masterpiece well, this is on my list to watch 100%. Knock at the cabin, out in cinemas from today. So stay right where you are because we're going to be back in just a bit. We're going to talk about... I get knocked down! Yeah, there it is. You'll be hearing much more of that. And there's a clue about what it's about. And She Is Love, both to be reviewed by Van in just a bit. Stay there. Hello and welcome back to the show. So let's continue talking about some more new movies out this week. And I think now's the time we talk about... I get knocked down! So, Van, um, I mean, there is a big clue in there somewhere. What is this all about? I, I mean, if you could guess it from the button we've been so surreptitiously <laughs> dropping. This is... I, I can't believe this exists. I'm very happy this exists. This is the Chumbawamba documentary that is, in fact, out from today. Um, which which follows Chumbawamba lead singer, for lack of better terms. I don't think Chumbawamba really have a lead singer specifically, but for what for what we would view as the lead singer, Dunstan Bruce of Chumbawamba. You know, the guy with the peroxide blonde hair who literally did the... Yeah. Get, yeah. This follows him. Who's, he's now an old man. He's, he's now like, you know, late middle age, you know, looking, getting to that, that sort of ennui stage of his life. What does it all mean? And he's starting to look back on just what they, what it was all about. What was it all for? The world is terrible, don't you know? The Tories are in government. Life is crap. Why did they do all of this activism? All of this anarchy? What was it all in aid of? And he starts to look back on what Chumbawamba stood for, what they achieved, what they got up to, and frankly, what their legacy was. Have a listen. 
You sold out and it all went wrong and you shouldn't have done it. The mainstream, you know, press, they hated us. The really, really purest DIY punks, they hated us. It's the blood of all the anarcho-punks that died when this came out. I was concerned that you were a voice of moderation. Sorry, Shirley, but your son Nigel is All of your efforts went largely, you know, just over everyone's head. Like, I don't know what went down. Like, you do seem a little rattled. See, this is an interesting one because we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago um, and I didn't know that the history of, of Chumbawamba, I didn't know there was so much before I get knocked yeah. down. It's like they were, they were in existence for at least a decade. before. I've seen so many like YouTube retrospectives, sort of discography analyses, things like that. Uh, I'm a big fan of like Mike the Snare on YouTube, which tells you a lot about what my YouTube algorithm is like. Um, and I actually did watch a Mike the Snare episode about Chumbawamba once. But also, I owned this album. I'm just going to say completely up front, I, I genuinely think, Tub Thumping is probably one of the best pop singles, if not of all time, certainly of the 1990s, and one of the definitive sounds of 1996, alongside, for instance, Macarena. You know, it's one of those that you just, it, that was that year, in a nutshell. If you, if, if you showed aliens based entirely on listening to broadcast media via satellite and asked them what, like, 1996 sounded like, odds are they'd say it's probably the Macarena or Tub Thumping, one or the other. Maybe Baby Bird's You're Gorgeous if you're being really charitable. I don't think Spaceman carried over into that year. <laughs> but... Uh, but but this is the thing. I, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more to the story than, as you say, you would have known. They were an anarcho-punk, you know, activist group going back from the mid '80s, you know, and all the way up to I think around uh, about the millennium kind of time. Um, I, they were actually on the Stigmata soundtrack as late as 1999. I remember that because the song Amnesia is on that soundtrack, and I'm a big fan of the, the movie Stigmata. Jonathan Bruce, who I think is now 59 years old, proves to be quite an interesting documentary subject. He's quite morose, he's quite deadpan. As you can hear from the clip, he's not afraid to poke fun at himself. He's teaming here mm. with a documentary filmmaker and sort of subsequent writer-director Sophie Robinson is interesting. And we do get to sort of go back and analyze the journey. We go all the way back to Leeds, to this house, I think it's Southfield House that they lived in in the mid-80s. And it was this just sort of, just this crap, run-down, massive, derelict house that this anarcho-punk group just moved into. None of them could play instruments, and they just palled around and did whatever they wanted to. And some of the members of this band were like 15 at the time, and just like, by their own admittance, like just, just wanted to live in this house because, you know, there's a lot of, lot of women getting their kit off all the time. And, you know, occasionally they were called upon to play an instrument that they didn't know how to play. And it, 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 comes, to, it comes to explain a lot about Chumbo but it also gets into, into both the overnight success and subsequent controversy that surrounded the band. Because, I mean, I don't know if you're aware of, of some of the activism that happened post uh, the release of Tub Thumping, but what happened was no. they, started, they started modifying their own lyrics to fit whatever work of activism, whatever movement and whatever protest they wanted to support at the time. And this included, you know, the dock workers, uh, people who were on death row, things like that. Uh, one of their number, uh, I think Nutter famously went on US television on the Bill Mayer show, Bill Maher show, I think he's called now, and the Bill Maher show and advocated, you know, if you can't afford our music, steal it from Virgin Megastore. They can afford it. And was, was called out on it, like, oh, you know, you wouldn't steal from the corner shop, but you'd steal from Virgin Megastore. And her response was, yeah, because they can afford it. And 
it, it was that level of, you know, down and dirty. It, by today's standards, they weren't that revolutionary. And that's something the, the documentary really interestingly points out. Chumba Wumba were actually ahead of their time. In terms of how they behaved, the things they did, they were genuinely ahead of the curve. If you did any of this stuff now, wouldn't even make Digital Spy. Yeah. But, you know, made the front page of The Sun, you know, 96, 97. Also, I will say, <laughs> I had forgotten that Ben Elton had hosted, I think it was the 96 Brit Awards, 97 Brit Awards. Um, yeah, so that, that, I remember yeah, that. It, yeah, interesting thing to remember. I had forgotten that one. It's so weird to see Ben Elton being popular and on telly. With That's his little round glasses. With his little round glasses, I know. I, yeah. Oh. But yeah, this is this is an absolute like retro nostalgia throwback. I mean, even if you you don't want to particularly want to know anything about the band, even if you're just a fan of the era, it's interesting to watch this and view that era again through the prism of this story. Uh, I will also say a bit of trivia that I didn't know: the only person outside of Chumbawamba ever allowed to change the lyrics to Tub Thumping. Do you know who that was, Mister Ball? No, no idea. It was Homer Simpson. The Simpsons were the only people ever allowed to change the lyrics to Tub Thumping. So say Dun, so say Chumbawamba and Dunstan Bruce. And that's called I Get Knocked Down. It's Incident Mars from today. It's actually really fun, just really boppy, all over the shop. You know, whizzy little documentary. Only, I think it's about 88 minutes long. Uh, from today, I Get Knocked Down. Worth checking out. Just a fun throwback pick. I like that, especially the length. I mean, that is a perfect oh, yeah. length for something like this, I, th I think. Brilliant. Okay, uh, let's move on then to She Is Love. Um, now, this is this about a divorced couple that come back together after a period of time. Yeah, you know you were just saying about the length of that last one. It was 88 minutes. This oh, is 82. No. 82 minutes. Oh, This is six okay. entire minutes shorter, and yet somehow feels hours longer so um written and directed for the screen by jamie adams whose directorial work today basically suggests that you know he is kind of a, a jobbing british director you know fair play to him this is kind of a you know on the cheap relatively confined insular character driven like a stage play kind of like drama uh stars uh sam riley and hayley bennett as the divorced couple who reunite in Effectively, a remote cottage hotel, kind of a remote country house hotel, kind of an idea. He's oh, okay. there with he's there with the new partner. She's there just getting away from it all. They reunite, hash out, you know, start to hash out all their former differences. We've not got a clip for this one. I'll be really honest. It's hang on. I think we have actually. Hang on. Oh, we have. Hang on. We have got a clip for this. My bad. Right. Brace yourself for this. This is this is not the most entertaining clip in the world. It's because obviously I forgot we had it. Here's a clip from Shears Love. <laughs> My ex-wife is upstairs. What? Yeah. That's that's it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I thought. I thought you'd invite her, but then I wondered why you would even do that. But then that I realised I would be insane. crazy. That would, that I would never. Do that. Why? So she's just here because she's a guest. No wonder you forgot you had that clip to play. I mean, that is a little bit like, um, yeah. well, I didn't even have a word. Right, I'm going to show you this for the camera, genuinely. Okay, on my iPad screen, there are four yep. notes 
Okay, now I'm glad that he doesn't focus in too much because there's some bad words used in here. Um, the, fir the first one of these four notes absolutely berates the streaming platform through which they sent the link for this because it's terrible. Please, publicists, stop using the indie platform to send journalists links. It's awful. If you've not got an app that runs on a television, don't bother, please. I don't want to have to watch films on my laptop. I'm not at uni. It's not 2008. Right, next three points. Everybody in this movie is insufferable. After that, what a meandering asinine time suck. And after that, how, <laughs> t how TF did a man with Riley's non-existent char non charisma here land one lady, let alone two? This is absolute garbage. I, honest to God, by the end of this, I, I was like Sam Neill in Event Horizon. I wanted to pull my own eyes from my skull and hold them up before the world. It was, this was agonizing. Like, I am all for, I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, pow, power to the people and the British filmmaking community for having to make films with the limitations we, we have, and things like that. Like, I understand that this is budget effective. This is, you know, obviously this is meant to be a performance piece, but for the love of God, make them interesting. This is, oh, good Lord. I, 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 I honestly, I could, by the end of it's this. It's a fair want. I don't think it's too much to ask. By the end no. of this, not only was I, not, not only did I absolutely understand why this couple was divorced, I, I was glad. I was glad and I wanted them to be alone and miserable separately forever because I hated every single second of this film. Like I say, it felt like it lasted an eternity. Sam Riley, I thought, was just this black hole through which charisma not only was sucked, but ceased to exist. It evaporated within the space-time continuum. Hayley Bennett, I, 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 don't, I honestly don't know what the performance is meant to be because it, it just seems to be this dead-eyed stare to camera for a lot of the time. And yeah, I, I mean, I will Here's say, a challenge for you. I'll have, give you a challenge. Can you name one thing you liked about it? It ended. <laughs> well, there we have it then. That's the review done, really. Not much more to say, is there? Review done. Nil Poir, hated the crap out of it. I never want to see it again. I never want to be reminded it existed. Honest to God, she is not love. She is boredom. There you go. Review done. There you go. And if you do want to uh, make your own mind up, um, then it is out in cinemas from today. Um, right, stay right there. We're going to be talking donkeys in a minute. So uh, Van's going to review EO uh, and also Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Stay right there. Welcome back then for one last ride. So uh, more brand new movies to talk about now. And let's talk about EO, the donkey. Well, this is the thing, because we're going to be talking about a donkey and then puss in boots. So we really know, are going right? down the Shrek route for the third act of this one this week, aren't we? Uh, so, yeah. uh, EO, uh, which I believe is, uh, is, is still pronounced EO in its native Polish, but is spelt IO in Polish. Uh, new movie from Jersey, uh, Skolimowski. It, right, I'm going to go with the IMDb description of this. Follows a donkey who encounters on his journeys good and bad people, experiences joy and pain, experiencing a vision of modern Europe through his eyes. Which is a nice way of saying, here's a, a, a film about a donkey being a donkey and just existing and going through the world. It's mostly silent. It sounds more like a description for a cruise, to be honest. <laughs> how many cruises do you go on with donkeys, Mr. Ball? Really? Well, that'd be telling. <laughs> um, right. 
this isn't this isn't in black and white, but may as well be. To be really honest, it's, it's one of those that's just got the the really sort of just just drowned out color palette uh, to an extent. And it is it's one like the story literally just follows this donkey through you know, a wandering spree, effectively. Uh, Isabel Huppert is probably the biggest name in this. It's, it's all subtitles where where there is dialogue, but it is largely dialogue free. Like I say, it follows a donkey. And right, this was on at the LFF. Uh, I think back in November. I didn't catch it. I remember my good friend Matt Turner telling telling me how great it was, how wonderful this was. And uh, prior to watching this, I, I checked out the Rotten Tomatoes page for this just to see what the criti- uh, critics, uh, I almost say crickets, what the critics aggregate score for this was. And it was a it was a whopping ninety six percent. So as you can wow. imagine, I was I was I I went into this with a certain level of enthusiasm. I thought, cool, yeah, I'll I'll enjoy this. Ninety six percent. That's can't be good, right? Like 96%, that's like first Black Panther. That's that level of good, you know? Yeah. And, uh, good Lord, no, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, right, every now and again, it would be really nice if some of my peers actually bothered to watch the film rather than fixating on the way their nipples feel chafing against the insides of their cardigans. Because, good Lord, this was an ordeal. Now, going with the recurring theme of this week, where our movies tend to fall under 90 minutes, this is, again, 88 minutes long. And feels so much longer, largely by virtue of the fact that it's dialogue-free. Um, like I say, Isabel Huppert, largely the biggest name in there. I didn't even, even recognise it particularly as I was watching this. I found it quite uninteresting. It's one of those movies that I watched and just thought, I, I feel like this is art for the sake of art. I mean, to, to capitalize on the MGM uh, slogan, it's art with an F, for lack of a better term. It is. I, I'm trying. I'm trying to pick a word I can. I can say that's broadcastable. If I'm being <laughs> honest, that I don't have to like come back in in post and bleep. But I'm really struggling because, frankly, this was donkey crap, for lack of a better term. I, the only thing, only way I could describe it is this was straight up cinematic manure to me. I, I hated it. I, I, I found it really uninteresting. I didn't think there was there was much going for it. I wasn't particularly enthralled by it, captivated by it, enamored by it, endeared by it. I just thought it was straight up manure. I'd rather never see it again, and that's really about all I have to say on the subject. I'm puzzled in my my own head trying to picture how this looks on the screen. Are we talking like a GoPro on the back of a donkey? Or are we talking Lassie where people go, what is it you're saying, donkey? Oh, you want some water? Let's go and get, like, how how is it framed? We're literally, more in the Lassie vein, except they're not talking to the donkey. They just usually just show up, be mean to the donkey, and then sod off for 88 minutes, which I I hated it. I really did. I mean, (laughs) we watched one of these a couple of years ago. It was called Cow. That was literally the same movie with a cow. Oh, my God. Yeah. (sighs) I don't know what this weird-ass European subgenre is all about, but I really wish they'd stop. Like, it's getting getting too much now. For the love of God, stop. Like, we get it. Was it a low-budget movie? I... I, I don't care. I don't care what <laughs> Arts Council funding they're getting. Stop. Look, nobody's paying to see it. Nobody cares. Mm. You, you, you know, you're not getting your awards. I think this probably did get nominated for Best International. I think it did actually get nominated for Best International Feature, which kind of confirms to exactly how full of crap the Oscars are nowadays. Enough. 
Just please enough. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to see it. Nobody's paying to see it. It's going to make no money. Stop. I know you want your name in the Guardian, but stop. Well, there you have it. If you want to watch the life of a donkey, go and see EO, which is in cinemas from today. Um, right, our final movie to chat about tonight. I have a feeling this is going to be slightly more of a positive review. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Prove me right. So, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, I'm happy to confirm, is probably the second best movie we've got this week. Phew! I'd, 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 put, I'd put it ahead of I Get Knocked Down and just behind Knock at the Cabin, if I'm being honest. I will also say it's the second best Shrek movie after the first one. <laughs> okay or at the very least or at the very least it's tied with shrek forever after okay so basic premise this is sometime after the events of the first puss in boots and all of which itself took place after all of the shrek movies puss in boots is just you know off living his life being a cool hero you know every now and again the townspeople need someone to defend them and he just you know kicks back off his bar stool where he's used to just you know kicking back and just being loved Picks up his rapier, throws on his hat, goes out, kicks some ass, and then just goes back to the back to the bar, sinks a few more drinks, and that is Puss in Boots' life. Gets his first strokes by all the local hotties. What's not to love? And then one day, a wolf rocks into town. Except this wolf is death. Literally. <laughs> and death tells him. It's your time. Your number is up. I have come to take your soul. It turns out you're getting old. You have used all of your lives. You are down to your last one. I have come to take you to hell. And Puss in Boots says, Not today, death. And he sets off to find the mythical last wish, which he believes will be able to restore the eight lives that he has squandered, you know, throughout all of his adventures, and teams up with an old flame voiced by Salma Hayek, and I'm trying to remember the guy's name, uh, Harvey, uh, Harvey Gian from uh, What We Do in the Shadows, who is, uh, who's, I think it's really a little rabbit, a little... Little rodent, I forget. With little rabbit, little oh. rodent, something like that. Yeah, and they set off on a quest to find the last wish using a treasure map that basically changes the journey depending on who is reading the map. So if you're a person with a dark soul, it gives you a haunted forest that you have to go through. If you are Perito, uh, Perito or how Gian's character, and you're the nicest person in the universe, and you read the map, you get a forest made. You get a you know nice little you know uh, pond that's covered in marshmallows, for instance. <laughs> and I'll give you no, a okay. clue. Okay, these are the bickering ex-lovers arguing over just how to get there. Whoa. Wow. For a dark forest, this place is pretty colorful. I wish I had my quinceañera here. The wishing star is in here somewhere. Kitty, may I please see the map? No. Seriously? You won't let me hold it for even one minute? Nope. Not even for one second. Come on, Kitty. You've got to trust me. Wait, 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 what's what's going on with his eyes? Oh, they're getting bigger. Oh, kitty. You gotta trust him. Look at those eyes. Yeah, you know exactly uh, what he's doing with those eyes as well. Mm, I mean, I like the sound of that, especially I've got a four-year-old son, as you know, and, I, and and this is the sort of thing I can feel that he'll he'll get sucked into and he'll he'll really enjoy, as well as by the sounds of it, the adult jokes that kids will go over their heads, but we'll understand. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I will also say, I mean, first of all, they get an extra star for me just for having Florence Pugh in the, in, in the cast, because you know, that, that's my rule. If you've, got, if you've got Queen Flo in there, you automatically get an extra star from me. There's loads of little Shrek cameos in the background as well. Um, this, is, um, a notably, uh, this is a notable departure on the, the animation side from the previous Shrek movies. This is a lot more stylized than the sort of boilerplate DreamWorks CG animation style of the other Shrek movies, and even the first Puss in Boots. Um, I will say that Harvey Guillen's character, uh, Perito, you could hear in the, uh, in the clip there, he is just a whole vibe. He, or whole vibe unto himself. And he's kind of worth the movie in his own right. Um, there's tons of, like, Zorro nods with this, because obviously if you've got Ant uh, you know, Antonio Banderas, just do the Zorro thing. And they are going there. Their version of Puss in Boots, it's worth knowing, oh, he's good. a lot more like Zorro. Um, it's, it's, a, it's simultaneously both the darkest and, I think, funniest Shrek movie. Um, certainly, the, the, certainly since the first one at the very least, as I say. Um, it's quite effective in combining both both its writing and the, the relatively new aesthetic, that new style, to basically build depth and suspense, particularly when it comes to its villain, who quite feasibly could scare some younger kids in a good way. You know, in that way that sort of kids need to learn to be scared, sort of acceptably scared and to learn like how that works. This yeah. is very much one of those. Like I could see, I mean, I know my best friend's son, like jumped out of his skin when he saw the villain of this movie and I can completely understand it he will go back to it though the next weekend because he'll love the movie he'll go back to it the next weekend and probably still be you know terrified but it'd be one of those things like we all have that oh god remember when I was a kid and that thing scared me and this is going to be that yeah. for kids for a few kids I think and it's I, I thought that quite works there is um there is a, a note on the end, so do stick around like through the credits for this because there is an indication as to where this is going. It's a bit more predictable than I would have liked, but eh, fair enough. And of course, it's just always nice to have Banderas and Salma Hayek reunite in anything. The Desperado couple are back together. What is not to love? That makes me so happy. Desperado is one of my all-time favorite movies, and to have those two sharing the screen again, even in animated form, as animated cats, completely works for me. I had a blast with this. I did laugh, I did whoop, I did cheer. Um, I was in suspense, it actually did keep me guessing, which for a Shrek spin-off, I, I wasn't expecting in the slightest. And like I say, loads of little cameos and nods in there. I mean, Gingy makes a cameo, you know, Gingerbread Man character, Gingy makes yeah. a cameo. Big fan, love it. There's loads of little nods like that. Um, whether you like the Shrek series or not, I would recommend checking this out if you've got kids. Um, and if you are a Shrek fan, you don't have kids, check it out anyway. Absolutely <laughs> worth watching. It's uh, Pussy Boots, The Last Wish. It's, it's two thumbs up for me, and it's in cinemas from today. All right. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. We are going to be back next week, and we are going to be, well, I'd say uh, it's about body oil and pecs for the start of next week, Magic Mike's Last Dance. Yeah, well, you know, we've just had Salma Hayek, you know, in, in animated form, so let's get her back in sweaty human form uh, for next week, because I think she is the love interest in, in Magic Mike's Last Dance. I think she, she replaced Tandaway Newton when she was sacked from it, apparently. Uh, we have also got, and I'm quite looking forward to this, Epic Tales next week, which is a British animated film about all of the Greek myths told from the perspective of animated animals who happen to be nearby at the time, and they are voiced by Josh Widdicombe and Rob Beckett and Giovanna Fletcher and people like that. So Brilliant. Kind of thing I would imagine you and Albert would enjoy, definitely. Yeah. Um, nothing Lasts Forever is next week, which um, I'll be honest with you, I've looked into and I couldn't tell you what that's about. 
because the, 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 the description of it is just wonderfully vague. Uh, Blue Jean, which is uh, about a teacher and uh, students uh, sort of struggle with their sexuality. And this has been nominated for Oscars, so I'm really looking forward to seeing this. This is Sarah Poli's uh, new movie. Again, this was at LFF. I didn't get to see it. I have got the Oscar screener for it, though, so I'm looking forward to being able to watch this one finally. Women Talking is finally out next week. So when Sarah Poli's involved, stand up and take notice this i'm very much looking forward to well lots to look forward to to uh, review next week then so uh, all of those to come uh, on off screen so until then i've been adam ball i've been van connor and we shall return